Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins, a Go Loud original podcast. Proudly sponsored by Cully and Sully. Tastes like homemade. Grab a Cully and Sully for soup season. Go Loud. Sounds better with us. Welcome to this week's Dishing It Out with me, Gary O'Hanlon. And me, Gary Mullins. Sponsored by Cully and Sully. And coming up on today's show, we've got our Gadget of the Week, which we love getting stuck into. We're going to go behind the scenes on some of the TV shows that we've been a part of. Today, we've got our first ever guest on Dishing It Out. David Gillick, Irish runner and celeb MasterChef winner is going to be joining us in studio. Looking forward to that. Wonder what his cookbook is going to be. Um, we're going to be looking for all your questions. What are you looking forward to there, most guys? I'm really looking forward to having a guest on. Cause, yeah. uh, and what's his cookbook going to be? I know. That's going to be a big He's one. He's going to bring his own book. He might do. I'll oh, <laughs> tell you, watch out if he does. You'd bring your own book if you had <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. I definitely <laughs> would. <laughs> Sell that book. So stick around. Okay, so Gadget of the Week this week, I'm going for a real chef's wrap staple. It's the Speedy Peeler. and it's uh, yeah. A Speedy Peeler as opposed to just a peeler, or is it just a peeler on a yours is faster? No, you know the Speedy Peelers, the ones that are kind of shaped like a U, rather than one that you hold like a knife. Those ones that you hold like a knife are useless. But you remember having them when we started? Like, that's all you could get, and then these Speedy Peelers come on the scene. The thing about a Speedy Peeler, though, it can take the tip of the, the old thumb off so pretty lively. But you know, it's like... Every good sharp instrument that you learn how to use, you do it once. I took the top of my thumb off with yeah. it when I got a brand new one, mm. and then uh, you do that once, and then uh, <laughs> you never do it again. And you <laughs> so, learn the hard way. Yeah, but you know they're brilliant for, especially like I think for people at home, like for salads, uh, for peeling ginger. You know, like they're they're a really really decent bit of kit. They're not expensive. They're so much better than the other. There's so many crappy people yeah. in the market. Just go and get your... And you always peel your spuds with a speedy peeler as yeah, well, yeah, by the way. Sure. I mean, you probably lose about 30% of a potato if you use a knife to peel. I mean, I remember growing up, my old boy and old doll used to peel spuds with knives. You know what's funny, right? I still, and you're, you'll, you'll throw your eyes up to heaven, I still peel my spuds with a turning knife. Well, I do too. I'm a hypocrite there now for saying that. Oh, why do you do that, right? Yeah, because you're fast with a knife, though. So am I, and accurate. But also, like, when when people ask you what it's like to be a chef at the start, and especially if you have a little bit of, like, the way our careers have gone, where you're doing a bit of TV work and you're writing recipes for stuff and you're doing bits with magazines and blah, blah, blah. But the start of your career, the majority of it, is peeling things, <laughs> be it onions, <laughs> potatoes, carrots, and I when I worked and in the Marion, onions. I used to work the night shift. That's part of yeah. uh, like so, and you used to have especially around this time of year, you'd have to peel four, five, six bags of spuds, twenty kilo bags, top and tail. Did you ever see someone trying to peel a potato where they don't top and tail the potato? Which blows my mind, and I'm like, just cut the top and bottom off so you can grip it. So that's your first bit of wasting right there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. No, but then what's the food cost then, like in the market? Keep them and we dehydrate them and turn them. <laughs> <laughs> you turn them and and then also as you get closer to Christmas. I mean, I came from classic kitchens. We don't turn potatoes, so yeah, yeah. handy enough at peeling the potato or knife. But no, a speedy peeler is a must for me. How many sides in a turn potato? I'm gonna catch this boy out. Seven. Oh, really? Yeah, how, yeah, really. Go? No, that's how they do it. Maybe we'll have a torn off. The repertoire de la cuisine. We'll have a torn off here one week. We are going to, producer Russell, (laughs) look it up. 
<laughs> a turned carrot or a turned potato. El Clasico right now. Yeah, but you know the thing is... Seven sides, not eight. Yeah, I, mine don't actually have sides because I can get them to actually be turned. Yeah. Come here, what's your gadget love, of the week? I love an old turn. I'm going to go with a microplane. Jesus, no. Like, or do you know like the wee... Like the wee Parmesan grater Unbelievable But you know what There's so many Microplanes That whenever you go to 95% of the time I use it Is for grating Parmesan Over pasta dishes For the kids Or yeah Anything like that You know what I mean Or over a salad Well sometimes over the salad Actually I use the speedy peeler And it's more shaved Parmesan As opposed to Grating it But I've got this one Where the handle's broken Like it has a wee orange ring now So it's easy to see It has this wee orange band on it And I just I've bought I've three others now In the drawer as well Because I'm trying to replace That one But then whenever I go to grate It's coming out in different types It's not coming out strandy It's not coming out the right way So a microplane is just amazing. But also, if you're putting a bit of lemon zest or a bit of lime zest, lemon zest, lime zest, grating garlic is yeah, brilliant yeah, for grating a couple of wee cloves of garlic as well. It's just really, really handy to have around around the kitchen, and uh, every kitchen should have one. Big time, yeah. Nice one. Dishing it out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins, a Go Loud original podcast. Cully and Sully squashed veggie soup is in season and the perfect warming meal. Go Loud. Sounds better with us. So Gareth, both of us a long time in radio and, and TV as well. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I know I'm asked all the time about um, what's it like behind the scenes here and there, uh, on the restaurant in particular. Have you actually ever had anybody yeah, uh, come we, into we, you training? Because you're based in Dublin. All these shows generally yeah, are yeah. made in Dublin and obviously with a marker being such a prominent property I've in the city. I've had Chef in twice, I think. Right. Um, it was right back at the start. And I remember, I, I think you, you kind of end up doing TV and radio work as a chef all of a sudden. Like, you've, yeah. you've not, no one gives you any training around <laughs> where to look or what to read or yeah. put, don't do this or don't do that. And you literally, where we come from, it, well, like Angie, come from a world where everything we done up until that point was heavily trained into us mm-hmm. because you came through a brigade system, which I think we spoke about briefly yeah. last week of, you know, you move your way up through the ranks and you'd never be put in a situation. Then all of a sudden, there's a camera in your face and all that. And I remember when we... It was the intro to MasterChef and I was standing in the lobby and they walked through the front doors to... They were waiting for me or something and like I remember the producer saying to me, now walk through the, the lobby. The Looking hotel. like the man. Yeah, and he was like, <laughs> don't look at them. And I was like, look, what do you mean don't look at them? I said, I'd never walk through the lobby of a hotel yeah. and not look at my guest. Yeah. And he was like, oh yeah, but we want them to feel... And you know, see just what you say there. <laughs> that's something though, you have to learn to be more confident yeah. as you get older. I mean... At the very beginning of the early days of TV, it'd be very easy to be like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. And then whenever it airs, you do look like the yeah. grumpy, angry yeah, yeah. chef yeah, that yeah. walks through, that doesn't care about your customers. Not, like, and the owner of your hotel is sitting at home watching off. it going, Jesus Christ. And anyway, we met them. They were all so nervous. None of them had never been in the kitchen. And we... Now, were they filming an episode yeah. there or were they coming to train with you no, in the no, kitchen? No, they, they were coming to... And I had to put... I put one on Garmanger, one on starters. They were doing a service. They were doing a service. I'd one on the sauce section and I'd one doing pastry. Okay. And they were with us all morning and there was like 70 bucks for lunch or something. So yeah. it was busy, right? And they were like, no, just leave them doing service. And I was like, what do you mean just leave them doing service? Oh, anyway, we started service... The starters started going out and I was looking across at this person that was doing the starters and they were in 
a jocker. Cracker. Like yeah. In the soils, right? They were like deep in it, right? And I let about two tables, I called it third check, the fourth check. And I was like... And you I look over a pastry and they're thinking, Jesus, this no. is easy. This is great. Yeah, but also the pastry chef was thinking, if he doesn't start getting started yeah, yeah, here, yeah. he's, he's going to stitch the sauce chef. And then that's the for the main courses because if the starter section sinks, Everything you fix sinks. that. Yeah. But all you're doing is pushing the problem into main courses yeah. and then ultimately it'll end up at dessert. And that's why if you're the chef on the pass or the guy that's running the show, mm-hmm. if you see one section sinking, yeah. you're thinking about all the other things that yeah. are going to follow on. So anyway, we fixed the starters. Yeah. We threw them in. This poor person that was in there was like, you know, we just had to move them out of the way and get it yeah. going again. And then we settled it back down. And then the mains away checks start getting called and I looked across because the other thing as well by the way are the are your diners that day aware that there's a oh, show no. being made yeah oh, so no. you're trying to protect your business yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. the producer we, yeah, I think we ended up telling them yeah well they probably were happy then to hear it but then you're yeah. like going you know hold on a minute you didn't take 20% off know, the bill yeah exactly and that, Everything, everybody that ate in that restaurant that day got the right yeah. food. Like it was very much controlled. I know. It's an added pressure that you could do without it. For though. sure. And yeah. we, I think that we weren't open that long. But I looked across into the, the sauce section, which was the hardest section in the kitchen, is where the mains come. And I threw one of my sous chefs in there just to keep an eye on this yeah. person. And we had this roasted uh, sea bass dish on a beautiful bouillie base uh, with like mussels and clams. Yeah. And, and I looked down and I was like, right. First one away, there was a you know a steak or whatever was on, and then two bouillie base, and and your mom was like, didn't answer me, and I was like, hello, and he was like, oh yeah, chef, right, so like, and people think that's out of arrogance. It's not. It just means he heard me. No, that you're he heard me, Grant. So he heard what I said. So. He's answered me, so let's move on to the next check. Yeah. But all of a sudden, there was 14 bass away, right? And he was gone. Like, yeah. I think Weeds. it was a... Yeah, gone. Like, totally sank. And then he... The first one come up, and I knew the sea bass wasn't cooked. Yeah. But I had to let him. Like, the producer was like, you have to let them make mistakes because they have to learn. So and anyway, the sea bass comes up to the pass. The the bully base comes up. The mussels weren't open. Oh, no. I handed him the pan back. I says, look... The yeah. shellfish is now open, get it back on the stall. Anyway, yeah. then it came up and we plated it all and he put the sea bass on the top. And I was like, Right, will we send that? And your mum's like, Yeah, yeah, we'll send it. And I just picked the fish up and I turned it and folded it. It was raw. Raw. I was like, You can't serve that, dude. It's not cooked. Wow. And he was like, How did you know that? Because it looked cooked. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you just know, right? But it, like, oh. they're the things that. I just remember after service then, I was like, look at, you know, what what the show are asking you to do was almost the undoable. Yeah. It's like us walking onto a building sign, yeah, something going feel, right. Don't feel so bad. Lay a courses of bricks there. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? The bricklayer will do it without even think, but yeah. I mean, you probably have a crack off it, yeah. but then the architect will come along and be like, take that wall down straight away. Someone's going to die, man, if yeah. that falls on something. It is. I mean, I, I'm always amazed, you know, when when celebrities come on the restaurant as well. I mean, there used to be a thing way, way back in the early RT days, like that, you know, they had to have a real interest in food. I mean, it kind of still is that way. It's come back to that way, mm. you know, for a long period. It was, you know, somebody in sports, somebody in music and just different demographics and age, gender as well. And from around Ireland or beyond or Irish people 
abroad doing well or whoever it may be. But I think fundamentally it had to be like, you know, a big interest in food. And, you know, a lot of people would stop me and say, oh, like, you know, do they really cook or do? And I'm like going, well, what do you mean do they really cook? I was like, well, I'm not putting chicken wings on the menu and I'm not. Because ultimately when celebs are asked about the menu on the restaurant, like at home, they think a dinner. Yeah. Then the only part of the program that's maybe not 100%, you know, put out there is we obviously need to know the menu before they arrive. We know the guests who are going to be on. You know, there's a wee part in the morning where it's like, oh, hi, how are you, yeah. Evan Toner or Amanda Whoever Brooke is, or right. whoever it is, blah, blah, blah. You know, we know who's coming in. we got to buy the stuff. we got to order it. We open a restaurant every single day. Every single element off the menu is the celebrities dish that's it whether they go to Gareth Mullins in the marker or they go to Sunil in Pickle or they go to Ross in chapter one or Michael in chapter one they can go wherever they want they can do as much mise en place and preparation for the role as they want and they all a lot of them do I've held a few through the years no I'm sure I'm sure yeah. Yeah. and they all say that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but the only time Stephen, Louise or I or John have any input is at the tasting and at the tasting is probably one of the best segments that we film because it gets quite dramatic it gets it cuts right to the bone because we've also been in there from half seven that morning it's usually three thirty, four o'clock that that tasting so you've been all day and it takes an hour and a half to record that little segment that's maybe 30 seconds right and i'm on starters so i usually if i'm lucky if i'm many covers these days sorry was 60 every night that does 60 we, we do 60 people every night. There's about Jeez. 20 or 16 or 20 mic'd up, but we feed 60 people every single night. I mean, that's you need to meet some people. We need food for 60 people. We need food for 60 people every single episode. Wow. And every day, it's two starters, two mains, two desserts, and every element of every dish nice. has to be recorded. So you don't see it all, but if there's a shallot or a garlic in the base of a sauce for a risotto, the celebrity will be seen doing it or I'll be there doing it with them. Every single element is done. After the tasting segment, there's maybe, if I'm lucky, 15 minutes before the first guest is brought into the dining room. So you've got seven, eight and a half, nine hours worth of work that you've got 15 minutes that are completely changed. Has anyone ever really, really, really just not been able for it? No, we've always fed them. Sonia Lennon and Brendan Courtney was the first time that we ever did an episode where we did four in a row. We usually record, say, a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday would be an off day. And then we'd come back Monday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Now, it would oh, be really? one day of a gap or whatever it'll be, depending. But it's usually three shows, day off, three shows, one day, one episode. That one year we did the fourth show and I remember Sonia has got a brilliant palate. I remember they had a crab souffle starter. Start to finish it took 19 minutes to make the dish right. This is a gospel fact. I remember standing whipping. It was a bechamel rice or something? Yeah, yeah, I was whipping egg white. Right. Right. Yeah. And this crab mix. I had a machine in there it was like a, a K-Mix whatever it blew up then there was a KitchenAid and <laughs> there fell smashed in two I was doing a lot of work at the time with Kenwood and so was Louise so her daddy jumped in a cab Brought one up. from Dundrum the first guests are coming into the dining room it takes 19 minutes to make a souffle her, she's on the phone to her daddy coming like so I'm standing there whisking <laughs> with a bowl, right? I'm like, oh my 60 God. 60 covers. 60, Everyone wants a souffle. 60 covers. Grab souffle on the menu. Brendan's sitting on a step <laughs> rocking over and back thinking that I'm a psychopath. 
and I'm just like going because I know that <laughs> Philip is in the truck, the producer's in the truck. Crack on. He is absolutely loving, loving it. life. Loving it. Right? John's coming. Wheels are He's coming looking off. at me. The wheels are coming off, and I'm about to have a conniption. <laughs> That night, we never left Marco Pierre White's until half one. I remember Johnny and Anissa are best friends of mine. They were diners that night. Actually, Anissa and her twin sister were diners. I came out afterwards, and, you know, we meet people they want to see us at the end of the night. They're, a lot of the guests are big fans of the show, so Stevie and Louise have been there from day one. I've been there for 12 years now, so I feel like a, a big part of the team. So you're, you're meeting people, and... You're kind of having the crack. But that night, like that day, somebody switched off of Louise's freezer as well. She had five or six different sorbets for the a dessert. Up. She opened it before service. It was like a liquid rainbow. <laughs> a liquid rainbow came out on the floor. She stuck a, an office knife into her hand. And even when I was a kid and I got in baller, I used to giggle, right? So I seen her <laughs> in the shits. She starts having a mental breakdown. I laugh in her face. Only because it was just like a fucking reaction, right? It was a nervous reaction. Me and her are good friends. I thought she was going to stick the knife in my eye, actually, by the end of it. She's having a mental breakdown, and what most can't... Of that was caught on the on Well, camera. most of it is caught on camera, but, I mean, they can only probably show so much of it, you know what I mean? It was, it was absolute carnage that day in particular, you know? But... It ended up being a, a fabulous episode. I'm not sure. They definitely got four stars. Was the souffle nice? The souffle was was a lovely dish, right, but it was... A, I said the song. I was like, what were you thinking? But, like, they're allowed to... I mean, she came <clears> with a phenomenal menu, but I'm looking at it from a practical point of view where usually souffle you'd associate with a dessert. It's the end of the meal. It's whatever. The pastry chef have their own oven. I have an oven that's grand for the first seven or eight tables. Now Stevie starts wanting to use it. Louise has got a crumble or a tartlet. She wants to use it. I'm trying to rise a crab souffle. <laughs> Close the fucking door. Do you know what I mean? It's... I I know how I know how service goes when souffle. Yeah, on the menu. when souffle's on the menu, I'd be like, "Will we do a choice bake?" So <laughs> you know, you chat about if people only had half an idea of of just how authentic the rest. I mean, the show's been on air for so many years for that very reason. Yeah. You know, you know Nathan Carter coming on and JP McMahon eating fucking chicken wings with a knife and a fork, and me abused him, and he's a good pal. You know what I mean? But you know, he was eating on as a guest chef. You know, people want to know like are you telling me you don't eat chicken wings with a knife before oh, cop yourself on it yes <laughs> don't tell me you you, you lift no. them with your fingers and you eat them with your hands <laughs> chicken wings don't tell me now that you eat chicken no, wings no I don't <laughs> he does he's not oh my god get out I need a new co-host but yeah but you know I, I would get I would get mental on the show right or you meet people because you know lots come with great menus but they're like oh we have to think of starters and desserts as well because they come with like oh, Dover yeah, yeah, Sole yeah, Lobster yeah, yeah. Thermidor Filet Mignon and I'm looking at Stevie he's grinning yeah best of luck with an apple and a beetroot scallop and black pudding and blah 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 you know what I mean like but last year in particular was easily the best year I ever had for menus. Food I mean, was. yeah, the the celebrities that was on last year came with some amazing starters as well as the main courses. You know what I mean? And I'm, I said to Adam, who's my sous chef in the chateau, we all have a chef as well. So Adam worked with me, and uh, I just says, "Look, so Adam it, does all the work. Adam does all the work. Yeah, but you know, <laughs> if he keeps the head down for another twenty years, he'll be on camera too." <laughs> It 
it's time we had our first guest on. It's been enough listening to Gareth talk about Gareth, and it's uh, and it's time that we brought somebody in here. This is somebody I've known for a long time. We first met on I think maybe the kitchen on Late Lunch Live, followed by the kitchen in the six o'clock show, and uh, Irish running legend. Uh, but probably I know him more for being the winner of Celebrity Master Chef. David Gillick, you're welcome to dishing it out. Cheers, thanks for having me in. Um, cheers for the intro there as well. <laughs> you have had an unbelievable career. Ran yeah. for Ireland, is that how you say it? Like you ran for yourself or you ran for Ireland? Yeah, yeah. represented the country, yeah. That's yeah. kind of what it's all about and went to Olympic Games and I think like, as a young lad, they're the stuff you kind of dream of and you know, you watch growing up and you, you see the likes of Sonia Sullivan and stuff like that. So yeah, probably, um, you say Olympian, sometimes they call you a former Olympian but, but apparently you're always an Olympian. Well, I like to call myself a former athlete. I just see you finish <laughs> the Dublin Marathon there recently <laughs> and every time I see someone goes, look, I'm a, I'm a former athlete. I've run the Dublin Marathon as well. I never know. knew that. Did you not? Oh, no. 2007 boy, I ran for a good few hours more than David, but <laughs> which makes <laughs> me probably it makes me have more in the tank. You know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, I I was in I was in tip top shape back in the day. I was a footballer. I was mad about it, but I was never a brilliant sprinter. But I I always always maxed out when it came like those preseason games. Oh, you know, I always yeah. I always relied on the engine. Yeah, so whenever I couldn't play football anymore, I started running. It bored me to tears but yeah I, I trained for the 06 marathon ruptured a cruciate a month before it broke my heart and then I ran it in 2007 and then I've just done triathlons but I've done none now for seven or eight years before Annette starts jumping down the phone saying you're a lazy <laughs> yeah. bastard the, you know the truth is what did you you're going to sick of me now what did you run it in because I know you know to the point second what you ran yeah, it yeah if I kind of go back because my event was 400 metres yeah. so like it, 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 yeah very short I'm a sprinter yeah. and I suppose the level I got to you're very specialised like that's what I focused on was like 400 metres and, and sorry from early in school is that yeah probably like I did a lot of like I played soccer played guy all the way up through my teenage years it was probably one of these kind of like I was sporty but I was also maybe a little bit of a late developer in ways you know and then kind of almost fell out of athletics playing a lot more guy a lot more soccer and then kind of fifth year sixth year in secondary school began to kind of make uh, a bit more kind of inroads in, in terms of running um, and particularly in and around kind of like sprinting so I wouldn't mere was fooled at a thing then no, well, no, because I was living now with professional athletes. Like it's nearly oh, yeah, like it's. I'm it's, curious to know. Like back then, no, no, you just ate. You just ate, and again, like my mom, my mom worked. She was a nurse. She worked nights. My dad worked. You know, I, I think it was very much kind of home cooked meals from scratch. You know, yeah. I remember my granny as well. Like going down, it was all home cooked meals, and mum would have Perfect. been like that as well. So I think you know, as much as but food, no one was tracking macros. Nobody was tracking. Oh God, no! Yeah. Right. Like I didn't even know what a carb was. I didn't even know right. that were. Yeah, sure. Look, I, 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 not the name drop now, but I played golf at a dare with Liam Brady last year at a charity event, and I, I like, I'm just football mad, and I got chatting to him I'd seen the documentary and yeah. you know, it, we brought it up we're having a well he's having a glass of wine I'm having a pint and he, all a load of his buddies from the Arsenal days all they knew him as was chippy and he says because all, literally all he ever ate was chips and ah, plates yeah. of chips and you're probably talking Arguably the greatest soccer player we ever had. Like, but again, but you it, know, it's the whole thing. I, like, even I, I competed in Beijing and um, Olympics, and that's when Usain Bolt kind of burst onto the scene and yeah, broke literally. the literally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, broke the hundred meter world record. I remember watching that, and then 
because I wasn't in the stadium because I was competing the next day. And then the whole kind of headlines after that was someone asked him, what did you eat the night before? And he was like, chicken nuggets. Uh, no way. And like, I can tell you one thing, like it was back in the day, it was sponsored by McDonald's. So you walk into the food hall, which is basically the size of Crow Park no pitch, right? And McDonald's had a, an inbuilt restaurant. Every day, and it went on the Olympics. The queue to, for McDonald's got longer and longer and longer. So he probably did, but like oh, that's, yeah. you know, it was part. You got a few. You got a few Benjamins for that too. <laughs> yeah, you did too. Yeah, got <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah. one in. To be honest with you, back then, like food wasn't part of it. I ended up kind of realizing that I was able to run fast, and then you know had a career in that. I never once thought I'd run a marathon. I'd never run more than like I'd never run more than a five k. And then last year I did the marathon, and I in, said, "Was that your first marathon?" That was my first one last year. Wow. And I did I did three sixteen last year. Um, I blew up like Super. oh, it was like I couldn't cycle it in three hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was horrific. I was walking up Klonsky Road and ah, oh, the three ten balloon past me, and you're kind of you're a long way from home, you know. Um, and then this year Did I was like too quick, too early. Went off too quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. cooked my dinner too early, oh, as I said. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. You know, like they they do the race series in yeah. Dublin. Like you know, you is it the Frank Duffy ten? They have the five mile t- or ten five mile, then a ten k, ten mile half, and then a marathon. Half. Yeah. So I did them all like in yeah. 06 and right up. He's your eager, weren't you? And, but like, but the thing is, is they they, they do them all where your training should yeah. be. They time them lovely, and when you're training for a marathon, it's really lonely. Like I just oh, like yeah. I would just be going out literally. You know, 06 was Galway I was living in, then 07 I was living in Cavan. Like, so you're just you're plowing these roads, and I'd go out at five or six in the morning before I would do a day's work. I'd do my big runs day Saturday. So doing those runs in Phoenix Park was brilliant because you had a lot of people there. This year, delighted. My target was to run sub three. Yeah, I did. I ran two fifty eight wow. fifty nine. Right. Wow. But like, the winner was two hours and six minutes. Yeah. So I'm that like that's a lot. And yeah, did you did you see him coming across the finish line? Like he like absolutely ran past. He didn't even. Well, they just like their their clip. Didn't even look like he'd start. No, no they're, yeah. they're unreal. And even like we had Stephen Scullion and Irish athlete got got third as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ran very well, like two hours eleven. Um, and they're all world class times, you know. Whenever I met you first in that TV studio at a TV three Virgin Media, and I always remember you saying like you know food was always fuel. Yeah. Whereas then at that stage, that was probably the very beginnings of it becoming maybe. Be, you know, a money earner for you, or a, another avenue for you to focus on. Was it after yeah. what, what year did you retire, David? Ten. It was ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah twenty thirteen. So, so was Celebrity MasterChef twenty thirteen? I think exactly. that was one of the. Yeah, I was going to say it was ten years ago. The only reason it? I did you it was that, you? I won that. Yeah. Um, the only reason I did it was because I couldn't run. I tore my Achilles. Yeah. Right. So in um, in May of that year, I was in Australia and I was preparing for a race in Japan. And I did one. It's just the way it happens. One of my a great session, great training session, um, number of reps in it, nailed them all, last rep came. Remember, I did it with a load of British lads came over and, you know what I mean, I was up for it, a good session and um, tore my Achilles. Oh. And that was in May and I can remember, I, I was preparing for a race in Japan, I had to ring the meat promoter in, um, in Japan and tell him, I'm not coming. I'm That's after not the beef supplier now. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember ringing him and saying, I can't travel and um, and I had to pay my own way and I lost the money on the flights and all, you know, and uh, and that was it. And I was 29, I would have been 30 in that July and like at that age in, in terms of athletics, yeah. like in, particularly sprinting, you know, you're, you're in very much you're the twilight sure. years, yeah. you know, yeah. and I wasn't making any money from the sport because I hadn't raced the previous season because I was injured and then I was like, and Charlotte, my my wife, was over with us um, as well. And I remember just going back to the apartment we were staying in. I'm just like, Jeez. that's it. 
Like, I, like I'm done with this. And I was sick of it. I had it enough. It was being dark, was it? It was dark, yeah, because like, I think the reality of my career, I thought, you know what, go to Beijing, um, become an Olympian. 2009, I was sixth in the world, um, over 400 metres. Like, it was going places. Then I was like, yes, going to go to London. Didn't make London because I got injured. I tore my soleus muscle. Again, didn't even know I had one of those. And then I was like, give it another year. The following year, did my Achilles. And I thought I'd go to like Beijing, yeah. London and Rio. Because you're always working four-year yeah, yeah, yeah. cycles because of the Olympics. And that was it. And uh, I, I can remember then, that was it. It was just like, I'm, I'm done, Charlotte. And then, like, a bit of a tantrum and all the rest of it. And then the next morning, I had an email from a production company. And that's just how it happened. To, Would you to be, do. To do, yeah. The Would you be interested Chef. in doing MasterChef? And I'd watch MasterChef when I was living in Australia. I'd watch MasterChef when I was in, I was in the UK for like seven, eight years. Watched and it over there. Did you cook much at that time? I would have cooked, yeah. For yourself? Yeah, would have cooked. Like pretty much, because that goes back to your earlier question. Like, But this stage, like food was was a huge part yeah, right, okay. of, of uh, your performance. Yeah. Everything. I would have worked then with like nutritionists and dietitians and, you know, would have really knuckled down on what I was eating. I was now training... Like when I moved over to England, I went from arguably a bit of a hobby, you know, I was probably still going out with the lads and stuff like that. And then right. went over there and I was like, right, going to knuckle down here. And that's when I tried to like look at everything, that holistic approach to it, like my rest, my recovery, my Marginal mindset. Yeah, 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 all that. And food was was a huge part of that. So began to cook an awful lot my, myself. And um, how many calories would you be consuming? Well, so for a sprinter, for me, I was probably in the region of like maybe... Two and a half thousand to three thousand, so it's not yeah. not massive. Not Whereas if I was an endurance athlete, <clears throat> you'd be far more, yeah, you know. Yeah. So with four hundred meters, you're trying to be like cheetah lean is probably the best way. You're trying to be mm-hmm. strong, robust, but you don't want to put on any major muscle because you have to carry that over four hundred yeah, yeah, meters, yeah. which yeah. is a long. And way, the yeah. food then, as far as uh, you know, food for fuel as opposed mm. to. How you cook for you? I mean, if you two kids, one kid, three kids oh, now, yeah, 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 wow. Um, are you conscious that it's always healthy, or I mean, I suppose you probably naturally cook that way, anyways, as a parent, like, or I think kind of like from like I would have been very regimented in my diet now when I was training. I would have really looked at like going back to the macros and you know the numbers and weighing things out. Like from my yeah. breakfast, every meal, I w- I'd weigh everything out. Yeah. And then, you know, probably went maybe a little bit too far in yeah. sometimes, you know, like I wouldn't eat out because I couldn't control what I was having and all like this. For me, that's that's unbelievable. Like I, I remember doing a few title fights for Bernard Dunn. Like he was in a hotel. I was an exec chef and, and Gareth has had everybody from Liverpool to the All Blacks. And, you know, we've often spoke about, you know, the, the amount of calories the All Blacks are consuming compared to like to you. But mm-hmm. I remember before his weigh-in Bernard Dunn had a sandwich it was a slice of white bread a teaspoon of mayonnaise one leaf of lettuce one slice of tomato one slice of chicken 15 unsalted cashew nuts and 15 unseeded oh, grapes yeah. that was it and the night, and then in his changing room as he was going out for the fight I was to have boxes of every crisp going boxes of every bar of chocolate that can be bought a fridge full of Coke 7 up and all that stuff and I'm literally in like it was a hotel room down in, in, in Mayo and and he's leaving and thinking like he gets off the scales or he comes out of the ring when the fight's over and he just needs to replenish yeah. I mean that's a that, it's nearly abusing the body in yeah. one way like yeah. it's, it's mental and like even like you know you're referencing kind of boxing there like you know it, it's a very very tough discipline to, to cut yeah. you know coming into any kind of martial arts um, any sport like that and then you kind of mentioned like rugby there as well so they're going to the other end where mm. it's about bulking up and probably athletics kind of pretty sprint and fit somewhere in the middle there like yeah. I would have been 
something like that going into a race, no matter where I was going in the world, I would have literally weighed out my porridge and everything and brought that with me because I couldn't control what was in the hotel. Yeah. And to, to fast forward to now, do you still find some of those habits hard to break? Or? No, I, I kind of, I've mellowed a good bit now, okay. to be honest with you. Like, I, it took me a while though because it's, it's kind of built into you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, and then like, I probably, when I, when I retired from athletics, I, um, I went the opposite. Like, I probably was eating crap crap, and whatever I wanted. But that was probably the emotional side of it as well, right. trying to kind of go, oh, what am I going to do next with my life? What, you know? And what age are your kids? So, uh, Oscar's seven, Olivia's five, and Louis's two. Okay. You know, so kind of from a cooking perspective, um, <laughs> like, it's all changed because you're, you're cooking for other people. Whereas right. when it was, say, me or me and Charlotte, we had time. Yeah. And you might go out and spend a little bit extra and treat yeah, yourself yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Whereas now it's a little bit more like... Um, just get it done. Dinners, yeah, yeah, yeah. Dinners, yeah. And come here, was, uh, you, so you won MasterChef then, and was that then the catalyst to say, geez, you know, I might have a wee future here, like yeah. I'm working in food, or was yeah. it just a case of, did you already know what you wanted to do? No, or, I did Because obviously you're a presenter now at RTE, right, yeah, and the like, athletics, but that's obviously sporadic through the year, right? Yeah. And every exactly. year is different. Every year is different, yeah. To be honest with you, like, that, it all happened so fast. I'd gone from, I'd gone from like training and competing at a high level to then suddenly, like literally, <laughs> two weeks later I was like I, ne- I needed to get a job yeah. and in between this then I had like MasterChef where I suddenly went from like you know I was on TV every week and then like, I had a whole demographic of people stop me like and going ah oh, well done and you know <laughs> place, you're like, granny. What, what are you cooking <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what are you cooking you're the chef and I was like jeez <laughs> me and like, Gareth could tell you what they're asking <laughs> you yeah, 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 we yeah, already yeah. know the questions but yeah, yeah. well, I'd never experienced anything like that you home. Know? Do you, yeah, yeah. God, say you do all the cooking and then they'd stop Charlotte and go, aren't you very lucky? Yeah. Oh. And, and you agree. You agree, yeah, she yeah. is, yeah, yeah. She is, yeah. She but is. no, I didn't. To be honest with you, I didn't have a plan and because, like I said, I thought running was going to go on for a lot longer and then suddenly I did MasterChef, came out the back of MasterChef. September, the time of the year where I'd usually go back training, that wasn't happening in 2013. I took a job working for a sports brand um, because I, I, I needed money, you know. And then it was like literally one day got an email about um, doing a cookbook and then someone else from a, a PR company. This dude, hey, only cooking a wet week, he's getting cooked. That's why, that's why you kind of get a book. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that's pretty much the way it all kind of unfolded. And, uh, and how did that feel being asked to do a cookbook? Ah, it was like, you're having a laugh. Right. Yeah. Honestly, was thinking, Who, where did you steal the recipes? Tell the truth. No, I can't tell you that. No. <laughs> how, how did that? I changed one or two ingredients. <laughs> yeah, ten percent is not what they said. Did they give you a format? Like no, big, no. Like and did you do it all around your running type of? My first, I did two books. Knowledge. The first one, but see, this was the thing. I it was kind of that imposter syndrome. I was like, yeah. Actually, it was only a TV show. Oh my god, what am I going to do now? Yeah. And then they were like, well, we need probably about 110, 120 recipes. But you must have been nifty enough to win it as well. I mean, are you are you, are you very methodical? Or I would be. You, yeah, once uh, you put your head. Remember Anton Savage as well. Like, I mean, he came down to the day with me in Viewmount House. Uh, Anton's the smartest human being. I don't know if you know him or yeah, if you've been yeah, in his yeah. company. I don't think there's anything he's bad at, you know, but I remember him applying himself in the kitchen for a day. When I went home, Nettie says, like, how'd Anton get on? I goes, honestly, I'd hire him tomorrow morning. He was pumping through service after seeing everything once or twice. It was incredible. Well, you see, it's interesting you say that because when I got asked to do MasterChef, I was in Australia, okay? And the one piece of advice they said, oh, do you know any chefs or is there anyone you can maybe have a chat to or even get into a, a working kitchen? So where we were staying in Canberra in Australia, there was like a neighborhood restaurant and I literally walked around and I went in and 
I, I didn't know these people at all. And I said, look, this is a bit crazy. I'm doing, um, you know, the show MasterChef. And they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, in Ireland, I'm doing the celebrity version. They're like, who are you? And I was like, oh, long story, I run and stuff like that. Yeah. And then uh, I said, can I come into the kitchen? And I, they did three um, three services, like breakfast and then they, or brunch and then lunch and then dinner yeah, or something. Yeah. Um, and they said, yeah, come on in. And I went in and it was, I went in day one on a Monday and I went in every day. Right, all the way through to Saturday. And I said then, <coughs> loved it. I'd never really been and in a working kitchen. the misconception of uh, kitchens are unapproachable oh, no. places. No. These lads were fantastic. Yeah, and they like, all are, most of them. Like yeah. I couldn't yeah. cho- chop or no, I had no skill. Um, they showed me like how to cook a steak and a, a, like a, a salmon darn and simple cool. things, you know. And then by the end of the week, my housemate and Charlotte, um, they were like, why don't you get them to come around before service, get them to order and you make it. On your Todd? On my Todd. No oh, way. Yeah. And I did go? that. They came in and I, I went down and said, right, you just order whatever you want and I'm knock we'll it make up. it for you. And went in, did it. And, and honestly, God, Charlotte was like, buzz. there's no way you made that. And I was like, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm telling you. I swear <laughs> I to God. It. But I loved it. I loved yeah. the adrenaline buzz. And like even, you know, I was in there in the evening times where I get really busy and what amazed me was they all had a role. They all knew what they needed to do and there was, none of, there was no panic. Yeah. No matter how many kind of you were, you, know, a, you were in a good kitchen. Ah, they, yeah. they were. The food was great, and it was like, and that's where I picked up my final dish for um, Celebrity Masterchef. Which was? No, which quinoa, was let me turn room it. Quinoa crusted no, lamb cutlets. Was that, that was a starter? that was a starter? Yeah, yeah. Which halibut, they rinsed me for halibut mean course. Yeah, go on. Well, what I wanted was uh, barramundi. Oh yeah. oh yeah, you weren't going to get that here. Get that. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was uh, pan fried halibut, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, halibut with. Uh, and I put I'm it on. Trying it. to think, did you have sauce with it? I can't remember now. I, I remember reading I, up on it. Yeah. You had a meringue. Anyway, I laughed because I said, like, if all else fails, you can't write a dessert menu <laughs> for patties. Stick meringue anywhere <laughs> on, near, beside, or above it, and it'll sell. Yeah, yeah but it, it was filmed, uh, the final was in Dubai. Yeah. And uh, so I, I, I made a tower like the Bird's Khalifa. Oh, <laughs> and I cram, my own creme chantilly huh? very you fancy do you know what I, I actually came very close to being the host of MasterChef did not, you not I remember you people, telling me this yeah not too many know that yeah but I'd never done a day on TV before I won't get into it all now but look it's probably how I ended up being on maybe Grania McAleer's radar yeah, and yeah, then yeah. Philip Kamsik because a spot came up not long after that to audition for the restaurant and they kind of fast-tracked me yeah. into the audition. But yeah, for maybe three, four or five months, it was nearly every Monday or every other Monday. It started with like 43 or 44 on each side. So they had restaurateurs and sommeliers and one yeah. half food critics and then chefs at the other side. And it went right down to the wire to the point where we actually... I mean, it doesn't make a difference now, but like we actually, the very last pilot I did was with Dylan. Yeah. Because I think we were, I, I know we were coming out better because, you know, I, I won't say who I was paired up with or obviously Nick Munier was one of them. Yeah, he ended yeah, up yeah. getting it. But I just found that a lot of the guys on the other side were saying the same things that we said, only just with different words or what have you. So on the very last day, Dylan and I, and they tried to make me not sound as Northern, I'd maybe shaved a wee bit to make us... We probably came across looking at the hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we probably looked and sounded a wee bit too similar, and obviously TV likes different, different or whatever. But that was the best edition that I'd been through. It would have been amazing, you know. Like I was so upset at the time, I never got it. But I, I mean, deep down, 
Dylan had just kind of come back. Mint was there. He had just done that mm. big show. I mean, he's amazing anyway, and he was very good on it. But um, it was great experience. Like yeah. it was, it was a great show. Like, how long did you have to wait? Actually, because it's always filmed ah, way, way ahead of yeah. Aaron, right? Yeah, that would have been filmed. Well, it wasn't air till oh, I was weeks. It was weeks, and you had to obviously sign the NDAs yeah. and talk about this and. Um, and all that. Like, and Did you tell your wife? Because I couldn't tell Nettie. Uh, no, Nettie I would didn't. right away ring her sister, Carmel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good luck. Who would then ring. Nine o'clock news, yeah. You didn't even tell Charlotte. Didn't tell. Yeah, I um, wouldn't tell Annette. See, Charlotte no actually, <laughs> to be fair to Charlotte, she was still in Australia. Right. So right. I was back home and I was back in living with mum and dad. And even my, I couldn't even tell my parents. And part of me didn't want to tell them because I didn't yeah. want to spoil it you for her. Yeah. Show, yeah. Um, but all my mum, like, you know, when the show was filmed they were waiting for it to air all my mum was just, was, would say to people as well um, he kept getting up every day and going in so yeah, we presumed yeah, yeah. he was yeah. doing alright he was there for a long time <laughs> <laughs> but no it was a brilliant experience and yeah it opened up a lot of opportunities in terms of kind of food something that I never thought I, I'd, I'd delve into I yeah. never thought I would have had the skill or anything like that and I think that's probably the big thing about throwing yourself into new, new yeah. stuff Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins. A Go Loud original podcast. Cully and Sully squashed veggie soup is in season and the perfect warming meal. Go Loud. Sounds better with us. So on this show, we always, we've asked you as well to bring in a book yeah. that either means something to you or you love, like yeah. flicking through it, reading it, using it, not using it or just looking at it. What have you brought? I brought in Jamie Oliver's Five Ingredients Quick and Easy Food. Lovely. And why this book? Um, again, kind of, I suppose, how my life has evolved and kids have come into it. Um, and obviously, like, food isn't something that I work in day in, day out. So, like, there's other kind of things going on. Mm -hmm. It's about just the practical side of it. And what I like about this book is, you know, the simple, you know, five ingredients. It's practical and, and it just makes things kind of work. And things like that, like, there's there's um, sheet pan stuff in there. There's... There's a variety of... Um, I love the sheet pan gear. Uh, like, it's just, it, it, it's easy to work with, particularly with kids. And that's just oh, that's kind of brilliant, yeah. So I down like, the left-hand you know? side, they throw in the... Like, the imagery in it is fantastic yeah. as well, you know, as you'd expect. I'll tell you one thing, though, right, about Jimmy Oliver. I mean, number one, he's, I wouldn't say underrated. He's maybe underappreciated is probably the word. I love him. I yeah, think the guy is right. absolutely amazing. Smart. He's been a breath of fresh air for many, many years on, on TV. Seems like a really decent, genuine dude. And I love his stuff. I love the website. I love all the dishes. I mean, if you're ever looking for a wee bit of inspiration or when I go to Beck, which isn't very often, but when I do go to Beck or whatever, I'll go to his site and it's one of the few that I use simply because it's well curated, it's well edited, and it always always works if you can read and write I yeah, say yeah, yeah. you can follow a Jamie Oliver recipe the dish will be Which bang is your, on is there a favourite recipe or is it just one that you grab and have a crack off yeah there's a month? few like there's um, he does a great scallops one so like Oscar my seven year old um, loves loves fish and shit yeah like really? prawns wow that's yeah. a rarity oh, huh yeah yeah it's, it's unreal like my wife would be into that as well so you know the tray bake as I mentioned um, they'd be things again the kids the kids like that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, he does a scallops and mash in this as well. Right. So we might change the scallops and put prawns in. And where, like where would you get scallops if you're going to cook scallops? 
I'd go to like just like kind of yeah, generally supermarket. Or if I, like if I'm passing, there's up step aside, there's a fishmonger up there and stuff right. like that. So you know, again, it's it's coming down to practicalities. Like yeah, yeah. you know, if they're in the area, I'd nip in and grab some things like that. You know, uh, but generally, to be honest, yeah, supermarket. You know, um, yeah, and they've come on so much supermarkets. Eh? Like, oh yeah, amazing. The last five years in particular. Yeah, sure. I mean, you can go in now, Duns and buy a whole yeah, yeah. quail. And how often do you cook at home then? Yeah, most most days, yeah. Like, like it probably again with kids and stuff like that, and kind of coming home from school and sure, it's easier. Like taking, I mean, yeah. my mine is nine, seven, and three just yeah, gone by. Yeah. So I, I knew we had two not yeah, that far apart. Yeah. But um, like taking them into a restaurant is just it's a nightmare. On well, meals. that's the thing. And even coming in here, I was like, a lot's gonna ask me now. Like, you know, where do I go for when I'm eating out? And it's like. The chances of getting to eat out is is rare. <laughs> no, you know? we understand that. Um, no, we know, man. <laughs> but it's, to be honest with you, like it's it's because my hours in terms of my work can be all over the place as well. It, it's not structured. It's not uh, yeah. you know the same week in week out. So again, I try and cook. You know, I try and yeah, we do cooking something every every day. Mm. You know, always breakfast. I tend to always do the breakfast and then, which is just a staple porridge and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So, but at least it's porridge. Um, and then kind of, you know, dinner time, whether myself, if I'm around or as I was leaving the house, like Charlotte was putting on, she's making a bolognese tonight and stuff yeah. like that and things like that, you know. So, yeah, we kind of take it in turns. I probably, I'd like to cook more. Like I loved when, <laughs> can I say this, when the kids weren't around and had nah. a time. But see, I fit, that's my, that's you, where. You know, my kids are a little bit older. So my uncle is 15 and my daughter's 12. And time comes back to you a little yeah, bit. I'm, yeah. Like my daughter's into bacon, right? And my son is into eating, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but he plays a lot of sports. He's right, a, he yeah, plays yeah. a lot of soccer and he's in the gym the whole time. So yeah. my challenge, and I think it's funny, you'll see as your kids get a little, I sound like I'm much older here and I'm, I'm not. <laughs> um, but you'll see the way your kitchen and your house yeah. dynamic changes. It goes from puree and everything <laughs> into yeah. the meat and everything to stopping eating everything and you're like going no but you used to eat scallops and you used to eat mussels yeah. and now you won't eat any of that and now you're a vegan no not even no like my <laughs> no but they just stop eating stuff yeah you know, yeah, yeah. No, I, know, yeah. I know all about yeah, it man yeah, yeah, no, yeah. none of my weans will eat spuds yeah but did they when they were younger well, of course they ate them yeah yeah, yeah. This, and, but then like yeah. what you just said there as they get a little bit older You'll find well, you'll find the kitchen then becomes more of a hub again, right? Yeah, like, yeah it's funny because even Oscar now of late he won't eat he won't eat porridge for breakfast, you know. Yeah, he just um, gave up on it. Just literally gave up yeah. on it, and I was like, "But you used to love this, mm. and he used to put it with like you know quite protein and stuff like that, you know. He yeah, like he'd throw that in and all, and he'd yeah. love it, and then suddenly yeah. one day, nah, nah, done, done. <laughs> What's you looking for now? The sugary ones. Of it's, no, it's not. It's, to- it's toast, but it has to be toast with peanut butter and and, oh, uh, and yeah. jam. Good. But I'll tell you about our game. We potty. Annette sent me a video in fr- to France last week. I was at the Chateau and it was potty on, on the ground squealing because it wasn't the right brand of peanut oh, butter yeah. that you put on. Yeah. And I was like going, Jesus. Yeah. Who, I can relate to that. Yeah, it's mad, yeah. What Talk about, about their own taste. They'll know exactly. Yeah. If it's not the same peanut butter, don't know. It was the wrong peanut butter. Imagine. Imagine telling my old boy that back in '83. <laughs> but at the same, like, you know, like yesterday, there was it. Um, he he played soccer, so we, when we came back, we were like just grabbed some like deli cuts from um, the local shop. Yeah. Salmon. He'll literally smoke salmon. He'll just gorge Brilliant. into that, you know. Brilliant. You know, which is great because it's the element of. He's expensive pallets. Hey, these lads. Hey. 
scallops and smoked I know salmon. Scallops. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> saying he gets the scallops every week, you know. Jesus. Yeah. Um, Far from mince, that boy's been yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. Top spag ball tonight. So. Spag, you'd be grand tonight, yeah. No, but they love it. Like, in, in fairness, we try, like, my wife would be good as well. She'd try and kind of include them in various stuff like that as well and, and uh, just get them involved. And I suppose normalising food to them as well, you know. Ah, good man. Well, look, you've done great. Good hands it's been, it it's been no. brilliant to have you on. No, Even thanks a million. Great to see it. you. It's been too long. Yeah, yeah, I'm cheers. Back. All right. All right. Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullins. A Go Loud original podcast. Cully and Sully's squashed veggie soup is in season and the perfect warming meal. Go Loud. Sounds better with us. So every week on the show, we ask our loyal listeners to send us in their their queries, conundrums, questions, whatever you want to call it, to dishing at goloudnow.com. And producer Russell has a few for us today. Yes, I do. And um, I have one from Sonia. She's asking uh, how to do a crab souffle. But I think we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll park that question for another week, perhaps. How about that? Um, let's go to Charlotte in Port Marrick. I really want to do a nice Sunday roast for my family, but I'm terrified of overcooking the beef. I want a nice pink centre rather than it being tough and chewy. What cut should I buy and how should I cook it? Thank you. Well, f- for me... It's one of two cuts right away. Uh, it's got to be a rib roast or a sirloin. I I do love a rib roast, but I would say to keep it a wee bit simpler and and not be cooking something on the bone, um, go with a sirloin. It's just maybe not as intimidating. Um, again, I don't know if she's a novice cook or a wee, a wee bit more nifty-fifty. But the other thing is, is a lot of modern ovens as well come with a built-in thermostat or like it's a little attachment that you know check your oven and check your knife and fork drawer because that's where mine is where it plugs into your oven and then in turn you you plug it right into you push it right into the center of your strip loin so you're probably looking if you want to have it god i I always do everything by touch actually even though i have that but if you want to have a nice medium rare center and gareth you can correct me if i'm wrong here but if she sets it to around 60 degrees internal a wee bit lower 56 56 i'd say if she goes to 56 yeah goes to 60 she'll get up towards medium Medium. her wrists yeah again well look i suppose i i I like a rested pink you know what i mean Uh, the other thing that you got to understand is you know first and foremost buy the meat of uh, a good butcher you know because it doesn't really matter how well you cook it or how you can you can cook the worst strip line going blue or rare or whatever way you want to call it bad beef is still going to be bad beef regardless of what temperature you cook it to so first of all you know ask your butcher like you know if you got something that's been hanging make sure that you get a nice wee bit of dry aged stuff that's been hanging set it to between 56 for a medium rare and closer to 60 Rest it after cooking, covered in foil for about 14, 15 minutes. The bigger the piece, the longer you let it rest before slicing is really imperative. And again, that's if you don't have the wee built-in one, Gareth would have talked about a uh, thermometer to have in every house is one of his must-haves. But if, you know, once it's in there for about 50 minutes, give it a wee check push it right into the center most part of it and uh, check the temperature and that's really after time and a few goes you'll be able to do it by touch almost and I would also say sear it off first in the roasting dish I think that's something that we take for granted with a, a roasting a piece of meat good point uh, we'd never put it straight into the oven so preheating your oven is important start it off nice and hot like 200 220 and then if you have a casserole dish or a heavy base pan sear a fat side down 
down first, get it nice and hot, that fat will start to melt and render. And then so treat it like you're cooking a steak and then yeah. pop it into your oven on a little bit. On a trivet. Trivet of vegetables. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then uh then you'd be good to go and uh, that's that's your roast, perfect roast. How do you like your roasts? I love roast beef. Mm. I mean I, I and I and I Everybody would say ribeye, whatever, but I I much prefer a roast sirloin. I absolutely love a roast sirloin. Mm. I'm not a fan of Yorkshire puddings, but <gasps> I'll give you I'll give Jesus. you one. I'll you give are you one. over there? No, I don't. I don't like Yorkshire puddings. I love making them, uh. right? And here's a wee tip on Yorkshire puddings: when you think they're ready, give them five more minutes. Correct. Perfect every time. And when so you're you, torn in vegetables, do eight sides, not seven. <laughs> Still a sore subject. Gareth, actually, we didn't record. The thing is, though, I wasn't going to say it. Producer Russell checked it out for us. Gary was right. Yeah. It's seven sides, not eight. Gareth's taking it really bad. What a- I love a cubed. I love a little cubed horseradish potato. So buy the wee jar. Buy say for about twelve diced up potatoes. Say for a family of four, five, six, whatever. Nice wee, nice wee roasting casserole dish. Dice up the potatoes. Salt. Pepper, white pepper, obviously, and uh, about 500 mils of cream and a full jar. I'm going to say it's about 90 or 100 grams of, of horseradish cream. Whisk it into the 500 mils of cream, pour it over the diced potatoes in the dish and just bake that along with the beef for about an hour and 15 minutes. You will have... The most beautiful horseradish hey, potato of all time. Oh, sorry, I'm loving the scent. Oh, really? I am, oh, yeah. I am in heaven. I was oh, going to really? say he looks turned on to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, horseradish potatoes are the simplest thing in the world to make, but they're absolutely beautiful. And uh, and I have another wee potato dish that I would do as well. We used to do it in the Rosapena when I was pot washing there. But diced up potatoes, not neat and tidy, big chunks of potato, sliced ham, diced up, tomato diced up, onions chopped up rough doesn't need to be too fine salt white pepper cover with cream and then bake or just roast as well for about an hour an hour and ten an hour and ten minutes and for the last ten minutes grated cheddar on top no garlic absolutely no garlic whatsoever right do not confuse them with a pomme d'affinois get back to me when you make them they're outrageous another question here this is a supermarket based question from Declan in Cork stock cubes stock pots bullion powders I see them in all all of them in the supermarket but I don't understand the difference Uh, look they're all more or less the same thing I personally like the little pots I think they're easier to use uh, especially as a home cook the ones that are the, the jelly type one but to be honest with you, I only use them if I'm making a gravy or something. If I'm making like a bolognese, I use the stock cubes because they're much cheaper. Mm. Um, the the little pots are more expensive, but they're all more or less the same thing. I yeah. Think. So, but definitely from a like every chef that cooks at home will definitely throw a stock cube into if they're making a stew or because we don't roast bones at home and you just can't. Basically, in professional kitchens. We get those flavours by caramelising bones, be them veal bones, beef bones, lamb bones, duck bones, chicken bones, whatever. And at home, t- to get to that, a-, a glace is basically what that reduction is called. It takes two days, really. So any chef that's telling you that they're making glace at home are, te- are not telling you. Yeah, I was just going to say the same. I mean, like, 
I often over the years see chefs turn their nose up at, at bouillon cubes and, and what have you and I'll just be like listen brother catch yourself, catch yourself on I goes I don't know anyone that doesn't use a, a stock cube and for me the only thing that I would say over them is the only one that I don't like would be the powders they're very hard to judge I don't like that flavour off them yeah, they have a synthetic the, type of a flavour it's a very them. synthetic flavour yeah the little gelatinous probably chefs lean towards the wee pots so I, I personally love the nor stock cubes they're, they're brilliant and again one cube to 500 mils of liquid it's a really really easy sort of recipe to follow like so if you're making soups or whatever and always lean on the side as I just say when it comes to them is lean on That's the side of less is more always leave room for being able to add season at the end but like Gareth said it's very very difficult to get the depth of flavour that you're after the stock cube is the fastest way there and also you can buy low sodium versions of them and if you're using the stock cube you're using a lot less salt in that anyways you know what I mean because you know that's the whole point of them is seasoning but I'll tell you what a little bit of olive oil nor uh, chicken bouillon cubes into a paste rub it over a whole chicken spatchcock and barbecue it Get back to me. Really? Outrageous. Yeah. Never done that. Yeah, Stevie gave me that trick, That's actually. Cool, yeah. Yeah. Never done that. I'm actually yeah. going to throw another one into the mix there. Um, it was Chef Mark Moriarty told me this one, and it's the uh, it's a concentrated chicken stock from Marks and Spencer's. A spoon of that when you're making a sauce or beef one as well. Is he only told you that, look, because Marks and Spencer's <laughs> paid him to tell you <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I'm only joking, Marco. <laughs> <laughs> and it worked yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's fantastic really really yeah, yeah. good one too for sauces alright final question comes uh, from Emily in Dungarvan I'm making meringue at the weekend for a delicious pavlova but I want to do something with the spare egg yolks any suggestions oh it's 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 got to be a creme brulee oh yeah 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 it's got to be creme brulee for me I had this thing like Garod and Tara great friends of mine from the old post in Cavan whenever we were at school together or college together we used to meet up maybe three or four times a year and we all took turns at picking the restaurant you know and to eat him. To eat him. Yeah. yeah we were students you know and Tara always had a car like or whatever or Gerard sometimes would have one and we would go here and we would go there all over the country and we were just Food mad and new restaurant mad. But I, I have a rule of thumb that I still follow to this day. But if we're stuck confident on the menu, I'm ordering it. I'm trying I'm a, I'm a student of the game. I absolutely am infatuated with duck confit. And creme brulee is another one. I, I I judge the mastery of a chef on how good their brulee is. There isn't a restaurant. There isn't a, a restaurant from Malin to Mizzen if it had creme brulee on the menu and I've been in it that I've tried it and the best one that ever was in the country was in Cook's Cafe in Dublin back in the day. Johnny. Duck confit. The best duck confit of all time was in Cook's, yeah. And the best brulee of all time. There was a restaurant in Galway for a very, very short-lived time, around 99 or 2000, called The Archway. There's nothing there. It didn't last very long. I can't remember whoever owned it. But I remember we went there and I had the brulee one night and it blew my mind. It was just amazing. So Google up a recipe. Go to Jamie Oliver, as we spoke about earlier. There'll be a recipe there. But I was going to just say, like, even if you've egg yolks and you haven't got the time to make a custard or a brulee, just throw them in with your scrambled eggs. So like, if you're going to have them with the kids, 
Just instead of like do your two eggs and keep your egg yolks, add them in and just scramble them and have them for your breakfast. Yeah. Uh, don't you, throw them in the bin. Or you could panny a little bit of chicken and do a chicken cave or yeah, yeah, a little exactly. flour, egg wash and breadcrumb. You know, wrap them up, whisk them, don't put them to waste. Like it doesn't need to be a dessert type thing, you know what I mean? Because again, you know, you could breadcrumb a little bit of place or a little bit of yeah, cod right. or whatever. And uh, yeah, there's loads of little things you could do with the egg yolks actually, yeah. So thank you, Charlotte, Declan and Emily for your question and if you would like your question answered next week email dishing at goloudnow.com So another show done thanks for listening and thanks as always to Cully and Sully for sponsoring Guys, what do you think of this week? Brilliant yeah it was lovely to see David we go way back and uh, I hadn't seen him in a long time actually Lovely guy. I tell you, he's still uh, he's still in good nick, isn't he? Gee, still I, you know, I was I was looking him up and down. I was like, whoo. Yeah, yeah. I might race him out to the car. I know. <laughs> um, and look, thanks for tuning in to Edition It Out. Uh, it's brilliant to have you on board. And uh, don't forget to subscribe and review because uh, it's important the more listeners that we get, we're going to build these guest profiles. Spread the word. Spread the word. Get it out there. So until next week, you can tune in again. And thanks so much for listening. Thanks, guys. Dishing It Out with Gary O'Hanlon and Gareth Mullen. A Go Loud original podcast. Proudly sponsored by Cully and Sully. Deliciously fresh, tastes like homemade ingredients you find in your kitchen. Go Loud. Sounds better with us.